You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Wow, what a treat to be here. I wish I could go to the Women's Day. And, uh... But maybe another time. Uh, you never know. Uh, what a treat to come back and see so many friends. Um, again, I'm just so eternally grateful for um, half of the old UCLA women now that took care of our girls who are, you know, getting ready to go to college. So we're so grateful when we come back and we think about um, our story of finding each other and starting our family and being a part of this incredible group at UCLA and being here in Los Angeles is just so special. So we're really excited about uh, our opportunity to come up here. Um, we've been through a lot the last uh, hundred years or so, and uh, I, I think we've got a lot to share and a lot to offer, but we really hope to um, just be part of a great family and a great team and bring whatever experiences and talents and or gifts that God's given us and uh, use it here for you guys to help build the ministry and help build our families. Amen. Um, really nice to uh, listen to Dr. Jones um, talk a little bit about the lectureship coming up at Pepperdine. I have borrowed N.T. Wright's, this is a book that N.T. Wright wrote, The God Who Became King. And I borrowed that for today's thoughts um, he's written extensively and is really quite the uh, biblical scholar. Really encourage you to find his books and or videos. Um, he's just a, a real revelation as far as how he understands the word and what it means for our lives. I do really like Randy Harris as well. Um, I'm not sure. The, the title for the lectureship this year is Cruciformed. And the first time I heard that, Randy did a series called Cruciformity, I believe, on Revelation. And I thought that, too, was just absolutely excellent. So uh, Cruciformity, Cruciformed, just talking about how the cross really shapes our life, what that looks like and what it means, I still think is so important and so relevant for wherever you are, wherever we are in our lives um, today. Okay, so... Where am I going? I'm not sure. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Ken sent me a message. says, we're talking about elections. It's election season. And uh, everybody's going to try and sell you on something, okay? So this is selling season. And if you'll remember, right, we've been through a number of presidents. And usually there's sort of a theme that goes along with their vision for America, right? So Reagan had um, a city on a hill. Right? None of the students, of course, remember that. A lot of our middle-aged people don't even remember that. But city on a hill, that was Reagan's thing. And uh, Clinton talked about a new covenant, wanted to have a new covenant with America. Uh, right? We're going to be a lot more transparent and work better with the people. I don't know how that really went, but uh, that was his theme. That was a good theme. Bush came along later. Uh, a few more of us would remember a thousand points of light, and that was one of his ideas, a thousand points of light, kind of capture the imagination, all these different points of light in America, bring him, bringing them together, a thousand points of light. And uh, it made me think a little bit about um, this other little story that came out. It was a, a small story, but I thought this was really interesting last week. The Harvard, this is the shield for um, the Harvard Law School. 
And um, this shield is um, the family shield or the family crest from a large donor that helped start the law school in the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, something like that. Well, you do a little research on the family. The family is a racist family that owned a number of slaves. And actually, the shield, instead of the sheaths, it's African-American men and women holding these sheaths. It looks horrible. It looks absolutely horrible. So the students have come out and said, this is ridiculous that this is our shield. This is what we represent. This is the Harvard Law School. This is what we're telling the world, that this is what we're about. And so obviously the president and the administrators got together. What are we going to do about this? A um, little late in the game for us to pick up on this. A little slow. But they made this statement. We cannot choose our history, but we can choose that for which we stand. We cannot choose our history, but we can choose that for which we stand. And I do think there is some real wisdom in that. My uncle says this every time I see him over uh, at the holidays. Hey, great to see you. It's too bad we can't choose our family. <laughs> that's, uh, that's true. <laughs> so what you get is what you get. Your history is your history. Your genes are your genes. Who likes their genes? Who'd like to change some of their genes? You know, a lot of what we've got genetically is about overcoming. Uh, you know, I want to be a little more of this or a little more of that or, or, or be able to fly or sing or whatever it is. And I didn't, those aren't in my genes. So a lot of what we're trying to do is overcome our genes. I think that's fantastic, actually. I think that's really great. But I think that speaks to us today as well. We're going to be being sold over the election uh, season here, what uh, various visions on America. But I want to ask you, what's your, really, what's your vision for your life? Where do you see yourself going in the next 2, 3, 5, 10, 15 years? We can't choose our history. We are what we are. We're here. Some of us are excited about that, and others... We're sort of on autopilot, and we didn't really choose to be here. I don't know how I got here. I just got here. But we can choose today that for which we stand, that for which we stand. We've got to talk a lot about that. What is it that we stand for? Well, when we talk about Jesus, we try and think and imagine again, what did he stand for? And one of the things that Wright does in his book is he talks about these four different, um, almost as if they're speakers, and they're creating sort of a stereo sound. Obviously, Jesus' mission on earth, there's a lot of layers there. He's not just doing one thing. He's doing many different things. But one of the things that he is doing is he is the climax to Israel's history. Right? So this big story that starts in Genesis, and we meander along a little bit. We get to Abraham, seven promises, outline of the Bible, Exodus, we've got to make a people. Joshua and Judges, we've got to find some land. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings and Christ. We've got to have kings and we've got to be out there in the world. And, and then we crash and we lose the temple. I mean, this is a big history. This is a really big story. 
And Jesus doesn't just sort of parachute in sort of mid-story or... He's the culmination of the story. I think that's really important that as we're aging, becoming more mature as a church, as Christians, we get a better, healthier perspective of even these big stories, these big narratives in the Bible. What is the story of the Bible? If you're trying to nail down a narrative from Genesis to Revelation, what's the story of the Bible? Is there a story that unites all of these 66 books and all of this time? I believe there is. I believe there is. And part of what's going on with Jesus here, again, is part of this big story. And so Wright's trying to point that out. Why is that important for you and I, you know, thousands of years later. That is really important because you and I are dealing with bosses. And you and I are dealing with neighbors. And you and I are dealing with traffic. And you and I are dealing with hunger and frustration and difficult husbands or wives or kids or parents. <laughs> And we are in the middle of our story. And we've got to make really important decisions in the middle of our story. But our story is framed in a bigger story. Remember how the Bible starts. What's at the very beginning? What's at the very beginning? Darkness. Darkness. And the first thing God does is, is introduce light. And so we all have some darkness in our stories and some darkness in our life. And it creates a lot of tension, creates a lot of pressure, leads us to sin, leads us to despair, leads us to these places that are hard for us to get out of at times. What's the story? What's the big story? Oh, we worship a God who speaks light into darkness. That's what we're about. That's what we got to connect to. And in the midst of our issues, in the midst of our lives, easy to get overwhelmed. Or easy to sort of go on autopilot. I don't really know where I'm going. I'm just part of the crowd. And, you know, um, that makes me a little less of a target. That's not good living, guys. Right? That's not good living. So, so that's his first point. This story of Jesus being um, the climax of Israel's story. Um, this is loud. He says this is a loud voice today. It's a good voice. But it's the, this idea of the divine, John 1, the God who becomes a man. That is a big deal. That's... An incredible story. That's an incredible story. The God that would become a man. But he says that the volume on that is probably a little too high. And this third speaker, the volume is probably a little too high. But it's this idea of Jesus being God's agent for change, which is great, right? What's he doing? Man, he's touching lepers. You know, the Pharisees, that makes you unclean. You don't touch lepers. Jesus, we're touching lepers. All right. Someone's got to love those guys. That's Jesus. And he's talking to the Samaritan woman. Even the 12 are like, oh, we shouldn't be talking to this gal. <laughs> Not good. What are they going to say? No, no, no. We're talking to her, right? This is Jesus. He's this agent of renewal, uh, sort of social change, right? We get this idea with him. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's fantastic. Praise God that he did that. Amen. But maybe that's, that, we're looking for balance. Maybe that speaker's on a little too high. And right, I, I love how he handles this. He, 
He says the fourth thing that he's doing is he's really setting up Jesus as a counterpoint or a counterpart or a counterpuncher to Caesar and his kingdom. Jesus is going to become king of a new kingdom. And it's opposed to this other kingdom that's doing what? A lot of promises from Rome. Rome is promising you more opportunity. And Rome is promising you more power. Right? You're not going to have to worry about your neighbors raiding in and stealing your fields and whatever, your sheep. Uh, we got an army now. We're going to protect you. We're going to be more powerful together. And Rome is promising you um, more culture. We're going to tie all these cultures together, and it's going to be fantastic. And so Rome is promising the first century Jewish person more opportunity and a better life than they've ever had. And God's saying, no, that's a false kingdom. We're going to bring a new kingdom that people can really participate and be a part of, and it's going to have its own special king. And so right from the very beginning with the census... Um, and all the different things that are happening there with some of the politics of the story, Jesus is being set up as a king versus Caesar and the church versus Rome in the world. And don't lose sight of that. That's so important in understanding the Gospels and also even what Paul is going on to in a lot of his ministry. That's a really, really big deal. So that's what he's about. And it's a different world. He's saying, you know, we're going to do things different. We're... um, In an alternative world, in today's alternative world, we understand this, younger people. Young people today, a lot of people today, are all looking for alternative worlds. Alternative worlds are not a new thing. What's the average teenager, what's the average teenage boy, how many hours does the average teenage boy play video games? That's a big number. We need some serious calculus to figure some of that stuff out. And most people understand sort of the addictive nature also of social media. Well, you start getting on, uh, you start getting on those things. I, I was seeing a young person the other day. God, I don't know. I just lost motivation. What's going on in your days? I get up. I don't know when I get up and I just go on Instagram and I just keep going and I've missed my first class and I missed my second class and I missed lunch and I forgot to shower. And now the day's mostly over, and I feel terrible. But I can't stop. I've done that over and over and over and over again. So this is somebody that could flunk out of school because they can't stop doing this. Right? So what is it, though? It's an alternative world. And cognitively, we know hey, that's not a real world. Right? Everybody's got a little picture, and you smile, and thumbs up, and you look at that. You know, it's designed to make you feel absolutely miserable about yourself. That's the point of the picture. And it's really effective. <laughs> if you do that all day, you're, going to be in the, you're really going to be in the dumps. So we see a lot of this going on, this alternative world stuff. And a lot of our young people and some of our old people, they're very much into it too. I had a 42-year-old couple, 42-year-old man. Wife gave him an ultimatum last year. Listen, I'm tired of this. You spend more time in World of Warcraft than you do with me and the kids. 42-year-old man. It's going to be me or World of Warcraft. That was a tense moment in our session. 
because he seriously hesitated. <laughs> he sort of he sort of rocked a little bit. I'm in this clan, and there's a guy from Russia and a guy from Australia, and they're really good. And she stood up. She stood up. It was that moment. I was like, bro, change course. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, good, good, good. Okay, you and the kids, right? Um, alternative worlds, they're hard to get out of. Uh, and Jesus talks about this, John 18, 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so we understand alternative worlds. There is an alternative world that we are supposed to be in, but it's not of video games and social media so much. What are the rules in this world? Well, we know a lot of them. We don't have time to go through them. We'll just hit, get a couple of our favorite highlights. Hey, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is this kingdom of heaven. This kingdom, this world, is for the poor in spirit. This world is for the broken. This world is for the needy. This world doesn't discriminate. In this world, you don't have to show up with a good-looking resume. In this world, you don't have to show up with various degrees. In this world, you don't have to show up with money. You just bring what you are, being poor in spirit and broken, is what this world is all about. What is this world about? Hey, I say, but I say, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him as also. Have you ever been slapped before? Or punched? Or pushed? Or knocked down? We've all experienced that. And there's a deep, primal thing that happens to you to get up and start throwing blows, right? And a really amazing thing happens in the brain that shortcuts cognitive thinking. It's the fight-flight thing. You go right into fight-flight. It's hard to control fight-flight. You get really angry. You get all that adrenaline. You get everything going. And Jesus is saying, hey, in the new world, in my world... You just offer them the other cheek. We don't really value that. There's a way to overcome that. You can overcome all this deep instinctual stuff inside of you. The spirit is a spiritual kingdom that doesn't function the way things do down here in this dog-eat-dog uh, uh, survival of the fittest world. It's a different, very different kind of world. What do we do in our world? We love our enemies. We love them. We love the neighbors. It's not an easy thing to do. We love the Trojans. Yeah, see? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, get on the cross. You can love anybody. We love the Trojans. Uh, yeah, it's another point. You love your enemies. You pray for them. You pray for them. You pray for everyone. You pray for everybody. What else do we do? We do unto others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Guys, right? We all know this. This is just the basic stuff from Sermon on the Mount, but still the most profound and transformative kind of rules for mind, body, spirit, community, and everything else we're trying to do in our lives right now. If I can get husbands and wives to do this, oh, it just totally changes households. 
totally changes households. We've got a lot of husbands, wives, they start fighting. They want to be right a lot more than they want to uh, love their enemy. They want to make their point and be heard a lot more than they do want to give in and offer another cheek. Uh, no, that's really different. It's really different. So let's take a quick look at Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 10. I really enjoy the story. Luke 13, 10, story about Jesus going to church. Amen? Jesus goes to church, called synagogue in Luke 13. Find my uh, old guy glasses. Yep, there you go. And let me start here in verse um, 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmary. Then he put his hands on her. And immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, Hey, there's six days for work. Come out and be healed on those days, not on Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to uh, give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Eighteen years. Eighteen years is a long time to suffer. And there's so many blanks you'd like to fill in here. Eighteen years? Has she been coming to this synagogue for eighteen years? And if she's crippled, can she get in? Do people take care of her? Where's her family? Where's her family? She very much feels like an outcast here, doesn't she? She's bent. She's broken. Doesn't look like there's a husband. Doesn't look like there's children. Very much alone. But she's supposed to be in this community that is uh, loving and taking care of her and family. And we've got people in the church today. We've got some people in the church here this morning that are broken and bent over. And maybe like this woman, Satan has kept bound up for years. And because, for whatever reason, we're too much on autopilot or whatever, some of our people we become blind to. Who here needs to be unbound? Who here has been going to church 5, 10, 20, 30 years and is feeling broken, depressed, hurt? Who here needs family but doesn't know if they can trust people here? I have felt that way before. I have felt that way before. I'd like to talk to one of the brothers or sisters, but I don't know. Is it going to get gossip throughout the whole church? Is everybody going to know the next time I come to church? 
Where am I really safe? Is this really a safe place to talk about this kind of thing? I want to be a better dad, but I'm not a perfect dad. And I don't know what, what, which one of the guys I would talk to. They're kind of intimidating. They all look so perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I'll talk to Mike. We got too much of that. We got a long way to go. I'm so proud of our history. What did we do? Well, we didn't know what we were doing, right? For mo- many, of us, many of us that were there in the early days. What did we do? I don't know. There was some good-heartedness, though, amen? And we cared a lot about young people. And we planted some churches and built some really good campus ministries. And they've gone all over the world. That was super fun, wasn't it? But now here, here we are a whole generation later, and things look different. And we're not quite sure... What's for what's in it for me today? And where are my real relationships? And what does the future look like for me here? And we need to talk about that kind of thing. Growing in our knowledge of the word, growing in how we minister and work with each other, growing in what it means to be church and experience church with each other, I think is I think is a real frontier for us. I think that's a real frontier for us. We were doing one thing for a whole generation or two. Now here we are, generation three or four, however you count it, and some of those things we did, they don't really apply or are very relevant anymore. How do we change that? That's a really big deal. Are we always just going to be a church for the college students? Are we all going to, always just going to be a church that's mission-minded, but we're not even really sending out missions that much anymore? Are we always going to be a church that just talks about people becoming Christians? This is fantastic, Matthew 28, amen. But there's a lot more to the family besides just having children. Hey, we had more children, right? When you're a little bit older and you get pregnant, mom and dad actually get worried. Uh, what are you doing? You've got to pay for that little guy. Uh, think this thing through. You've got to take care of this thing for the next... Someone, you know, people love to add this stuff up. It costs roughly $250,000 to raise a children today. But who has $250,000 in the bank, right? No, we don't do this. That's not how it works. But this is, this is the idea. How do we go forward? I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60 years old now. Uh, can we make change with respect and honoring, with respect to the past and really honoring where we've come from and what we're about? I don't know exactly what that looks like, but that seems really important that we have those discussions. That's a big deal. I think that's a really big deal. Otherwise, I'll get to that a little bit more. We got the rise of the Duns. What's that? Um, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let's get back to uh, Luke 13.10. She's bent. She's her resourceless. Jesus obviously touches her, brings her in. And right after that, of course, the self-righteous. And we all have a little self-righteousness in us, don't we? Everybody's got a little self-righteousness in us. Some of us a little bit more. But we've all got some self-righteousness. We're just not comfortable when people don't do things the way we do things. Right? This is great. This is great with husbands and wives. I, I thought she was so cute. And I loved her because she's so different from me. Right? We love this. Complimentary roles. Right? I just wanted to... They just seem so different. That's who I wanted to be with. Right? But then they get married and what happens? Oh, they fight over all their differences. And so you've got to learn, learn how to do this so you get self-righteous. And he rebukes the self-righteous. Self-righteousness isn't helpful for us. Amen. I think there's something to be said about conviction and truth. 
and what's right and wrong. Amen? But being self-righteous about it isn't fruitful or going to be helpful for us. And as I mature as a Christian, how do I be a strong leader and have conviction and say, bro, you're in sin. Can I still do that today? Yeah, we need more of that. But be compassionate and be loving and stay connected with people without a self-righteousness. I think that's hard to do. I think that's really hard to do. And so we get people that are kind of in camps. Either you are you have conviction and you believe in truth and 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 right and wrong. Or you're kind of weak and wimpy and you think anything goes. You're like the hippie people. And um you know, you just accept everybody, and there's no sin, and, and there's no this. And we've got this. You know this. This is everywhere. This is everywhere. This is not just here in this church. And this difficulty of, is there a middle place? Or how do we keep these things connected? First Corinthians 12, parts of the body. Doesn't somehow this all work together? I think this all works together. I think this all, we need compassion. We need conviction. It all works together. We've got to figure out how to do a little bit more of that. Not just us. Everybody needs some of this. A little bit of a frontier, I think, for us. Okay, some of the challenges for us. What do we need? Um, Wright says, uh, just a little thought, we're not saved from the world. Jesus doesn't save us from the world. Jesus is saving us to be in the world. This is really important. Not just being saved out of the world, because what happens if that's our mindset? If that's our mindset, then there's no big point of being in the world anymore. I'm just waiting to go to heaven, and some of the Christians do this. I think I did a little bit of this as, an, as a young Christian, and I just go into Ecclesiastes mode. Everything's meaningless. What's the point? Why go to math class today when I can have a fruit juice and a bagel? Because it's meaningless. I'm going to go to heaven whether I get an A or a D. Wouldn't that nice? Isn't that nice? None of my professors like this idea. None of them. But I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> Not saved. We're saved to be in the world. We're actually saved to be in the world. Uh, Bob Goff, very popular writer right now, wrote a book uh, number five years ago, Love Does. And he's a lawyer. He's really inspiring to me. He's a lawyer and as a Christian became sort of bored with his life. Everybody experienced that? And uh, he wrote a book called Love Does. He really got into sort of what was this crisis in Africa, in um, Uganda, I believe. And he wanted to go over there as a lawyer, because that's his gift, that's what he does, and legally try and create some refuge for folks, and then even try and get some folks out of Uganda if they needed to get out of there, or Rwanda, some of these places. It all starts overlapping. And this becomes, again, just transformative for him, because he takes his faith... And he takes this thing that he does, law, and he puts them together, and it totally opens up new doors for him in his life. And now when he's here, he's still practicing as a lawyer. He rents out space in Disneyland on, um, what's the pirate island? When you go over there, Tom Sawyer land, what is that? He's got an office over there. <laughs> Sees people over there. That's a cool place to have an office, right? This is great. What gifts and experiences has God given you? That's really important. Sometimes we think, well, my gifts and experiences, they're not that meaningful. They're super meaningful. What pain do you have? Everybody has some pain. And I don't want to think about it. It's really meaningful. God redeems pain. 
And how does he take experience? How does he take pain? How does he shape this? He's going to do this to open up doors for you. I was really blown away. You know, we came up last year because we felt like God was moving. We really loved the chows. We really have getting to know the shumps and some of the leadership group here. And we've got all these old friends and experiences in West L.A. Is this a great place for, is this a great place for what? I think it's an incredible place. But you're in the middle of your life. Does that make sense for us to move back to L.A.? I don't know if that makes sense. A lot of our family are saying, oh, yeah, no, I'll just tell you that doesn't make sense. Uh, and there's a lot of moving pieces. But around Christmas, um, a, a spot opened up at Pepperdine in the counseling center. And I've got a practice in San Diego, but I applied. It felt like one of those things. What is, what is this? What is this about? And they don't respond. And I called, and they didn't respond, and I called, and they didn't respond. I thought, well, that's pretty obvious. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, <laughs> nothing, just crickets. And three weeks ago, out of the blue, they go, oh, so sorry. We just came across your um, application. Are you still interested in the job? I go, oh, yeah, funny. I'm going to be up there next week interviewing for a ministry position. Oh, wow, that's cool. Well, can you do a day for us until the end of the semester? I said, that sounds great. Could you start next week? Um, You know, the answer is always yes when you're in interview mode. Yes. Yes. I can come up there right now, probably, if you need me to. And it just reminded me, when I moved up here again 100 years ago, we started the church. I was, you guys remember last time I was here? I was praying for the gangsters. Colors, right? Gangsters. We've got to get some gangsters in the church. I don't know where we're gonna, how we're going to reach out to the gangsters. And God plopped me right into Verbum Day down in Watts to teach biology and chemistry, which ended up being such a great experience. Uh, and then I'm trying to come back. Now, Pepperdine, it doesn't look like Watts. It's really different. <laughs> that Malibu... And Compton, they're, you know, there's, you'd notice, you'd notice, you'd notice. Uh, but again, it just felt like, wow, look at how God opens up these doors. He take, you take your faith and you take some experiences and things that you have and he starts doing incredible things. I want to ask you to really think about your life opening up doors. There's still so many doors for us to open up here. Um, our middle group, and that's a challenge for our younger people. We aren't planting churches like we were 20 or 30 years ago. And if you were a student at Pepperdine or SMC or UCLA, you know, we were actively trying to get as many young people as we could to do that. And frankly, in the church, that kind of became the coolest thing to do. We all wanted to do that. And if you didn't do that and just got a job, that felt like a bummer, like, oh, uh, I'm just going to get a job, uh, uh, that kind of thing. I'm just going to get married and have a job. I'm not a special one going on a mission team. And that's changed. That's changed. We're asking you again to really tap into what your gifts are and what your talents are and have a really incredible God experience as a young person. And it's not like there's no more opportunities in the Philippines or these places. Well, there's a lot of opportunity everywhere. But be humble and try and really listen. Where is God leading you? Open up as many doors as you can. Create as much opportunity as you can. You just don't know what God's going to do with your life. Because we believe in a sovereign God. God cares about people and needs. He's going to get people where he needs them to meet those needs. Amen? And it really does something important for the Christian. 
we went on a really special trip um, a year and a half ago to the Philippines. And um, uh, Typhoon Yolanda had gone through there and just wiped out uh, Tacloban. And so we go over there and we're going to help rebuild a school and we're going to teach some classes and do some Bible. And we took all these boxes to give to kids. It was around Christmas time so they could have some presents over, over Christmas. And one of the young women that came with us really, really is having a hard time emotionally. Um, has been diagnosed as bipolar. And she had been over there for six months previous, previous to us arriving. And we're all praying for her and talking a lot to her. Is this a good idea for somebody with serious bipolar disorder to be in a third world country? Uh, some of you have done this. I mean, it's sort of nonstop all day. And it was absolutely transformative for her. And I'm not prescribing this. It's just her experience. She got involved with those people. She's working with all of those kids. Uh, it helps you, obviously, with your sleep patterns. You're really tired at the end of the day. Super connected to all the other workers, to all the other places. Just an absolute joy. The most joy she'd ever experienced in her life. And sadly, she came home and couldn't survive for six months back in America. Stress of family, stress of life, stress of Rome, being back in Rome, being back in Rome, frankly, it's just too much for her and was hospitalized. And we're not sure what to do with this. You just be humble. I don't know. Is the answer for her to live in the Philippines the rest of her life? I don't know. Maybe. But there is something she can do with her spirituality that really helps her and helps a great need out in the world. That's the kind of thing we're all looking for. This is where God uh, and our faith is so relative to what's going on in the world around us today. And I want you to just think about that story and that idea because I think we all have some of that. I think we all have some of that. Now, our we got some people, I don't even know where this is. Singles, you've been in the church 5, 10, 15-ish years. You're in the middle of your life. You're in the middle of your life. Just make a mark. This is a time in life where it's easy. I don't know. I haven't done something spectacular. So I'm just going to go into autopilot and come to church a lot. Jesus didn't save you to come to church a lot. Jesus saved you to do something special with your life. And again, that might not be becoming president. That might just be really affecting your neighbor. Or doing something in your kid's school. Or doing something at your workplace. I'm not sure. But, but God's not done with you. God's not done with any of us. And I want this middle group with a little less history, but not a kid anymore, to really think about how you make a mark today. And, and to reject this autopilot thing, and we got a lot of people that it's just really easy to get into that. And where do I use my gifts to really make a difference and serve in the church? Uh, maybe help some of the youth, maybe support some of the older folks. Uh, we don't want to get you lost in the middle here. That's not, that's not good, amen? And I do want to say something to the older Christian. We're going to call you the mature. Our prayer for you is renewal. Our prayer for you is renewal. I mean, I can get a couple guys together for coffee in this group, and we got a hundred years of experience between us. Amen? You guys know what I'm talking about? 
Um, this guy wrote an article called The Duns. And I thought this was really curious. This struck a nerve in me. John is every pastor's dream member. He's a lifelong believer, well-studied in the Bible, gives generously, and leads other, others passionately. But last year, he dropped out of church. He didn't switch to the other church down the road. He dropped out completely. His departure wasn't the result of an ugly encounter with a staff person or another member. It wasn't triggered by any single event. John had come, had come to be long considered a long, thoughtful decision. He said, I'm just done. I'm done with church. And John is one of a growing multitude of ex-members. They're sometimes called the de-churched. They've not abandoned their faith. They've not joined the also-growing legion of those with no religious affiliation, often called the nuns. So we're comparing the nuns to the duns. Rather, John has joined the duns. At uh, group's recent Future of the Church conference, sociologist Josh Packard shared some of his groundbreaking research on the Duns. He explained these de-churched were among the most dedicated and active people in their congregations. To an increasing degree, the church is losing its best. The church is losing its best. For the church, this phenomenon sets up a growing danger. The very people on whom the church relies for lay leadership, service, and financial support are going away. And the problem is compounded by the fact that younger people in the next generation, the millennials, uh, are playing video games and not lining up to refill the empty pews. Why are the Duns done? Packard describes several factors in his upcoming book, Church Refugees. Among reasons, after sitting through countless sermons and Bible studies, they feel they've heard it all. And one of Packard's interviewees said, I'm tired of being lectured to. I'm just done with having some guy telling me what to do. The Duns are fatigued with the Sunday routine of, I love this, the Sunday routine of plop, pray, and pay. So that is the message that we've given a lot of our older Christians. Look, 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 the church, we got it. We're going to fall all over ourselves to take care of the youth. And you guys don't make trouble. Plop. Pray and pay, okay? And then we'll all be happy. Well, that's not a good role. That's not a good role for anybody. We don't want our young people to think that that's a good role. That's not a good role. There's so much more for our young men and women of 30, 40 years of experience to do with their lives and in our church. And we don't want to send you the message that you're irrelevant here. Or some kind of problem. We want to send you a really strong message. We need you. We need you. I'll say something a little pointed about this. But we don't need the older Christian whispering in the parking lot. Do you know what I mean? We see this a lot. As a minister, that always makes me nervous. Oh, no. There's, oh, no. There they are. They're whispering in the parking lot. They're not talking about the game. <laughs> And they looked over at me and turned away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't like the sermon. <laughs> they didn't like the sermon or whatever. I know. I've been in the group. <laughs> I've been in the group. I've been in the group. Uh, we had a group of ex-ministers in San Diego for a while, right after X-Men came out, and we called ourselves the X-Men. And it didn't go over well. Um, but it's hard because 
Well, it's just hard. And we need you to think about how God renews all things. And about how God uses everybody. And about how God has got you here 30, 40 years, not so that you could plot, pay, and pray. Plot, pray, and pay. God's got you here because we really need you. You've got some experience. You've got some hurts. You've got some gifts. And again, if there's any one thing that we all got to take from today, we're going to go forward with a great God. Amen. We're not joining Rome. Rome doesn't have Rome. Rome and Caesar have. There's no hope for us with Rome and Caesar. Amen. But we can also bite and devour each other. And that's no good. He didn't bring us here. Long Church of Christ history, right? Amen. Church of Christ has not been great at resolving conflict. If you've paid attention, usually conflict in Church of Christ, there's a talk, there's a meeting, divorce. So we solve most of our problems with divorce, historically speaking. I'm kind of butchering that, but we don't want to do that. We don't go forward with half of the group. That's not a real victory. We went. We we had we got we got big Christmas dinner with half of the kids. Oh, half the kids came for Christmas dinner. What? No, we want all the kids there. And we want you to know that we want you really a part of whatever it is going forward, whether we come or not, whether we stay or go or whatever it is. You're a big deal here, and it's really important that you've spent so much of your time. And if you're like me now, I've spent most of my life in the church now. Right? And you go, okay, now what? Now what? And that's that crossroads where I can just sort of skate down into, uh, you know, never, never land. Or I can really do something with my experience. But don't wait for Todd and or Ken or the Shumps to say, hey, bro, this is exactly what you need to do. Go do. You've got a lot of knowledge. You've got a lot of experience. We want you to use this. Amen? Okay. Run out of time. I think I've just got one last thought here. So what do we do now? Now, this is Sunday. We're celebrating. Rome, Caesar, we don't need that. we got this other kingdom. It's a much better kingdom. We're going to go to heaven. Amen. We're going to celebrate that. But we got to go back. to Tomorrow is Monday. And we have bosses and traffic and bills. And so you do got to go back out into the world. I want you just to think about this. You go back out in the world. We don't live like they do. Jesus says in John, 8, John 15, The world hates you. The world hates you because they don't understand where I've come from. I'm from another place. So we need to be in the world. It's that old phrase, in the world, but not of the world. And Paul says in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. I'm going to vote. I want everybody to vote. Everybody should vote as an American. Please vote. But our citizenship, the citizenship that really matters is in heaven. Colossians, Paul says that again. Set your mind on things above. And 1 Peter 2, I love this. How do we live? How do we live? Strangers and aliens. Strangers and aliens. Paul does it a little bit too with tents. Oh, we just live in tents. We just live in tents. We're strangers. We're aliens. We pay our bills. We go to work. But we're part of something so much bigger. A God that speaks light into darkness. A God that promises one man that he's going to become a whole nation. A God that takes that nation uh, uh, through all that it's gone through and gives us Jesus. We're part of something so much bigger than Monday morning traffic and Monday morning bosses and Monday morning bills. 
And so remember what we're all connected to as we go back out there and let's pull, continue to pull back together and be the people that God really wants us to be. Jesus gave us a new world, a new kingdom. He's the king. Thank God we've got somebody like Jesus leading the ship. Amen. Ken, Lena, thank you so much for having us today. Curtis, Lynn, what a joy to see you guys. Shumps, thank you so much for all the support. Just beautiful being with everybody. I think we've got the singers coming up to close us out. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.